like to remind you that uh, over the past five weeks, I've been sharing a series of sermons based on my time away, sabbatical, uh, that I did this summer. And again, thank you for your prayers and uh, all that you provided for Kathy and I to get away and to get refreshed. And I particularly want to remind you of this today, that I am sharing with you words that I believe God gave me about me. Uh, I, I know not, I don't know why, but I know that there are churches where um, when you hear from the pastor, at times he never lets you kind of behind the curtain of his own life. Um, we've tried not to do that here at Fullness. I don't let you behind every curtain, but I do try to let you into, you know, part of my life. Um, and so I, this is a personal word that I think will hit, I'm going to say it, it'll hit everyone, but some of you more than others. Uh, but this is, was about me, and I'm, so I'm going to share it as a testimony about, about me. Um, just as a reminder of that, uh, the pictures that, I, that have been on your screen for all these weeks, I actually took those pictures. Um, this is uh, the Grand Tetons. It's, right around, it's around um, one of the lakes there and on a hike I did with um, Kathy and uh, I think Adam and Olivia were with me on this particular day. And so um, these pictures, they're personal to me. So when I see them, it's reminding me of the glory of God and the beauty of nature and how God is at work, God is at work all around us. Um, this picture, picture is kind of a knockoff of uh, Ansel Adams' uh, Snake River Overlook. I actually took this picture. The Ansel Adams picture was on the wall uh, in the condo where I was staying, and so I was sitting there trying to <laughs> match this masterpiece of uh, art with my iPhone uh, picture, and I thought I did pretty good, actually. Um, I, really, I really like it. Paul, in Ephesians, gives this great prayer uh, Ephesians has a number of awesome prayers in it, but this particular one is foundational for us here at Fullness. It's a key prayer uh, that Paul offers up. And Paul starts by saying, for this reason. I'll try not to teach the whole book of Ephesians, but if you go back to verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul started for this reason in, chapter, in verse 1 of chapter uh, 3. And then he gets interrupted with this thought because he's afraid the Ephesian church doesn't really have the thought. He's afraid, like, I think they've missed it. So I'm going to say it again because he's been talking about it for two chapters. And to us, this reason that Paul gives, it doesn't seem as big a deal to us. And because it doesn't seem as big a deal to us, then at times we miss the glory of it. Um, again, I'll try not, I actually am not preaching on Ephesians 3. I'm getting through it, through another passage, to another passage. So if you want to flip ahead to the passage I'm actually going to preach, it's in Philippians 4. You probably didn't guess that, did you? Um, Philippians 4, but I will get there, but stay with me. I think this chain of thought is very, very, very important. Paul says, for this reason, the reason he's giving is that the mystery of God, which is that Jew, Gentile, male, female, everyone 
is now a part of the family of God is a mystery that was hidden for the ages. And Paul still can't get over it. He still can't, as a Jewish male, he still can't get over the truth that Jesus came to save the world. Not only that, but he's brought Jew and Gentile, all people groups, into the same family. We are all one people. We are the church. The church, as Gabriel talked about, the church militant, the church triumphant, the church universal. We are the church, the body of Christ. We're one people under his name. And under his name, earlier in chapter 3, he says the church is the multifaceted. It's the it is, it's like a diamond held up to the light of the glory of God that hits the diamond and shoots out light all the world around to display the incredible glory of God. This is not, please listen to me. I'll say it nicely if I can. This is not just about you and God. This is about you and me and God. This is about you and me and everyone in this room and everyone who claims the name of Christ. This is about us, the church. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family on heaven and on earth derives its name. God loves us. He's our Father. We derive our name from him. I pray that out of his, he keeps, I'm going straight forward here. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. The power of the spirit indwells us so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, the power of the spirit, the love of Christ. And that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge. I want you to know it, but you can't know it. Not up here, but you've got to know it in who you are. That, and here's where we get our name. That you may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. This is who we are. We are the people of God. Father, all people groups. Look around, we've got a... We've got a bunch of different people groups in this room, just here in this little church in Vestavia Hills, Alabama. Praise God. May it increase. May more people groups join us. May we, we just display the glory of God to the city around us. And then I speak this over us every week. Now to him who is able to do what? Measurably more than all we can ask or imagine. This is why I speak this over us every week. It is not only a blessing. It's not only looking from God to give us immeasurably more. It's because we're the family of God. We're the family of faith who have the power of the Spirit, the love of Christ, filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. Now, praise God to him who is able. And let me just say this too. I, I know that the immeasurably more that Paul is talking about here is actually the fact that Jew and Gentile have become one people. He, he couldn't even see it. He's, it's, it's unbelievable to him. He is so overwhelmed that all these people groups could become one family. He said, I could, no one ever imagined this. No one ever thought about it. No one ever wrote about it. Here it is. 
But it also speaks to the immeasurably more that God can do in your life. When I speak this over you and you think of immeasurably more, what do you think about? I, I want the immeasurably more in my life. Would you? Don't you? Am I the only one? Don't you want God's immeasurably more flowing into your life? Well, when you think about what it is, can you, I know it's beyond what you can ask or imagine, but if you could imagine at your limited capability and mine, what would it be? Would it have to do with relationships? Would it have to be with resources, finances? Would it have to do with healing or health? Would it have to do with the miraculous, evangelistic? What, what is the immeasurably more that comes to your, to your mind? There is so much more that God has for us. In Timothy, Paul is speaking, again, all of these things I'm giving you are from Paul. Paul is speaking to Timothy about what does it mean to pastor? What does it mean to lead? He's talking to his young protege, so to speak, and giving him instructions about how to pastor, how to minister. And he says this, if anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, and he is conceited, and he is conceited, and he understands nothing. I love the way Paul just, you know, if he does, he's conceited, he understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicion, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Now, I'm not going to preach this passage, but I really want to. Because nothing has changed in 2,000 years other than the sophistication of the delivery of false teaching. And the sophistication has gotten to the point. And it, it, people, listen to me. It is for financial gain. To me, this puts a dagger in the heart of the prosperity doctrine. That godliness is not connected to financial gain. As a matter of fact, it's just the opposite. Again, I'm not preaching that, but I really... Paul goes on and says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Again, this is a powerful passage warning Timothy about the danger of, of combining ministry and money. Uh, Paul is not saying, hey, all ministers should be poverty-stricken 
That's not what he's saying, but he's at the same time saying, there is not this, I just thought I'd throw that in for my own sake. If you're like, I think we're overpaying him. Um, He's not saying that, but he is saying that if you're doing it for the sake of financial gain and you're trying to get rich, you're in the wrong business. Pierced with many griefs. Here's the passage that God spoke to me out of all of this, and there is a connect here. But godliness with contentment is great gain. What if the immeasurably more that God has for me is this great gain? How do I tap into the immeasurably more or the great gain that God has for me and for us? How do we get there? Paul's combo unit, and this is very, could be a very complex diagram of ways to get into the immeasurably more of the great game. But the two that spoke to me with one in particular is this godliness with contentment is great game. I, I, I have spent really my life in pursuit of godliness. I'm not saying I've arrived, please. For those of you who know me well, you know I haven't arrived. But I've spent my life pursuing what does it mean to be a godly man, godly pastor, godly husband, godly father, godly person. I would hope people would look at me, not from a pharisaical position, but say, you know, Pastor Bart, he, he's a dork, but he's a man of integrity. He's a dork with integrity. Why? Because I've pursued, tried to pursue the Lord. But somewhere in the journey, I lost my contentment. Now, maybe it showed through, maybe it didn't. I can't, I can't answer. I've always been sarcastic, so it's hard to tell when is it, when is it like from a heart of discontent versus that's his, you know, normal conversational style. But I know inside, like before I left town last spring, I just was stirred up, discontent with just about everything. I was reading this passage in Timothy and I just broke. Just this idea that I've lost my peace. In the pursuit of godliness, in the pursuit of doing right, where is my contentment? I repented and said, God, how, how do I, what do I do? Is there anything I do to get this back? Now, I'm six weeks into the return, so to speak, after the sabbatic, and I can, I'm battling this. I'm not going to tell you, oh, I had this battle, I had this truth, I had this revelation over the summer, I got content, and praise God, I've stayed content. But I know what it smells like now. I know what it feels like now. And so I'm trying my best to battle against this winter of my discontent. This, this feeling, some of you got it, some of you, thanks. 
but this, this feeling that, that's trying to push in on me, that the enemy is saying, I've got a door, I've got a window, I've got a crack to sow, to get in there, to, to disrupt the great gain, to stop the immeasurably more. Maybe I can't stop him from doing this, but I can stop the beyond imagination stuff. I can stop this if I can get him to walk in this level of discontent. So I'm just going to share a couple of truths. Maybe it'll help you. And maybe it's just for me. But if so, then I'll be blessed today. So, but these truths are from Philippians 4 because that's the passage where Paul talks about what does it mean to be content. So I went back to Philippians 4. I'm going to share four truths, four ideas about how to help us, so to speak. These are not like the four steps to living contented lives. But they are four principles that if we walk in them, they'll put us in a better position to not get discontent. Are you with me? Do I need to start over? Or are we good? Because this is really important. At least it's important to me, and so I hope it'll be important to you. I, I, I try to teach biblical principles that are not like, oh, st- absolute steps to success. But they are principles that will position you to live in a life of contentment. And please don't hear what I'm not trying to say. I've already said godliness, right? Don't, don't get into the ditch of saying, oh, I'm going to be content however I am. I'm going to be the perfect whatever I am. That's what my eighth grade algebra teacher taught us. You are a perfect whatever you are. I know, but what is X? That kind of thing. I don't know what X is, but you're a perfect whatever you are. Um, You are not a perfect whatever you are, and there is a difference between discontent and healthy spurring on to love and good deeds. And fighting the battle. Don't fall in this ditch. This was not the ditch I was in. I was fighting my own battles. Uh, I was fighting. What I'm trying to say is, in combination with pursuing a godly life, how do I stay content? Right? You with me? Okay, thanks. If you're not, just say yes. Otherwise, we'll be here past the grandparents' lunch. First is this. Learn to be grateful. Learn to be grateful. I'm in... Uh, Philippians 4, verse 10. And let me just say this. Um, I'm having trouble seeing because I have a cataract on my eye that's getting taken off a week from Monday. So I'm very discontent with this not being able to see thing. So if I can't read scripture, just shout it out. If I say the wrong word or whatever, just help me read in my old age. Here's what Paul says in Philippians 4. I told you I'd let you behind the curtain. You're like, I didn't really need to know that, but okay. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. Paul is saying here in this passage that he is grateful for them. How grateful. I rejoice. I am grateful for you. And how I praise the Lord that you were concerned about me again. Now, I don't know what the 
break in the concern was between them, but there was some break. But now they're concerned again. And he's grateful. This may be, I don't know if this is the most important one, but this is the key to me to be being content is learning to be grateful. Ungrateful people are rarely content, if ever. Why? Because they're ungrateful. Everything around them is either supposed to be there for them like they deserve it, or it never works right for them and they don't know why, or somebody's always against them, or nobody likes them, or I don't like this stage in my life, or I don't like this or that. Ungrateful, and ingrate is one of life's ugliest creatures. And it's impossible, I think, to be content if you're ungrateful. We need to learn to be grateful. You've got to be grateful. Thank you, Lord. I mean, I, I heard Rachel uh, is here this morning, and she's expecting... Um, a child, in case you wondered, I'll just go ahead and announce it. Um, if you already thought maybe Rachel's putting on some extra pounds. Um, but it's, she's expecting, I know you never say that. It's a bad joke. Forgive me. But she's expecting, I remember when Rachel was born. Because I was trying to talk her mother into waiting another day to have Rachel. Because Rachel's born the day before my birthday. She was born on the 28th. And so I was trying to talk Tracy in the hospital. Hey, why don't you wait another day? And then you can have this baby on my birthday. And just like the earlier joke that went nowhere, neither did that one. <laughs> went nowhere. It's amazing Tracy and Marty and I are still friends, even after. Learning to be grateful in stages of life is really critical. I've learned and watched people say, oh, if I could just graduate from college and get a job and make some money, I'd be, I'd be content. I'd be grateful. Oh, if I could just have a husband or a wife, I'd be grateful. Oh, if I could just have children, I would be grateful. Oh, if these kids would just leave, I would be grateful. <laughs> you can go on with, uh, you know, <laughs> kind of different places. Because they're never grateful for where they are. They're always thinking, I will be grateful if I have this. Or I will be grateful if I have that. And as a result, they're always discontent in the moment in which they're alive. We're having a marriage retreat in... What's that, October? Hope all the married couples will come. Here's one of the truths God told me, has taught me over these many years of being married. If, if all I'm looking for in my wife is what she can do to make me content or how she can get better or improve, I'll never be grateful for who she is now. And then I'll continually be discontent and my marriage will suffer. There will be a constant division because why? All I'm thinking of is what she could be rather than who the gift she is to me now. 
And my wife is unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable. I mean, when, when, when I look around at people who have one or two kids and tell me they can't get to church on time, I'm like, you don't know Kathy Brookins. Five kids by herself every single Sunday morning on here on time, dressed in doilies and I don't know what else you put on those kids. I, I look at my kids' pictures and I'm like, I'm so sorry, son, that mom put you in that little Lord Fauntleroy thing and took you to church. I don't know what it was. But I don't care who you are. You can look at the person you're living with and all you see is what they're not rather than who they are. And when you do that, you're always ungrateful. And when you're always ungrateful, you'll be discontent. And a discontented home is not a joyful place to live. That's really good preaching, by the way. You should. <laughs> Even with the bad jokes, it's really good preaching. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Why does God want you to be thankful in all circumstances? Because he wants you to be grateful. He wants you to live a grateful, joyful, contented, in that sense, life. So get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of it. Is this, is this just about godly living? No, I think it's about walking in the immeasurably more. I think it's about walking in the great gain. It is godliness, but it's godliness with contentment. Because bitter, rageful, angry, brawling, slanderous people are not content. Right? There's a, there's a, there's a reason they're mad. Because they're ungrateful. Something is, anger is not just about anger. Anger is about something is stopping you from achieving your goal. Something is preventing you from moving forward. So as a result, you get frustrated, and frustration leads to anger, all stemming from ungratefulness and discontentment. Okay, that's the first point, although it's a really good one. The second one is this. Be adaptive. Be adaptive. By that, Paul says, and this is the apostle Paul, right? He's got an apostle is his, you know, title. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have what? Learned it. I don't think the natural state of our heart is we just are content. I think we have to learn it. We have to learn what does it mean to be content. We have to be adaptive. Formed in his image. Becoming like Christ. We've learned to be content. Would it, might not, would it be maybe one of the greatest gifts you give your children is not only to learn how to live a godly life, but live a contented life? Maybe model for them what does it mean to live a contented life? Kathy and I battled this for our years of marriage, not against each other, but... We kept saying, how, how, can we, how can we talk to our kids not just about what they need to do better or what they improve on, but to be grateful to God for what he's given us? Because don't you feel at times like parenting is a constant, don't do that, don't do that, do this, do that, get a better grade, go to class, do this, do that. 
kind of thing where you're always like correcting rather than contenting, so to speak. Living a joyful, contented family life. Learn to be content. And it's an adaptive behavior. Down in verse 11 and 12, he says, again, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content. Where? In need or with lack? I, 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 I've learned what it means. No matter what. Here's what he's saying. Your situation is not dependent. Doesn't drive your contentedness. Your contentedness makes you view your situation differently. The psalmist says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. In other words, I believe the psalmist is showing us that God is is teaching us. He will teach us. If we just cry out to him and say, God, help me learn what it is to be content. He will help us and teach us. Um, Helen Keller said this, when one door of happiness closes, another opens. But often we look so long at the closed door that we do not see the one that has been opened for us. Why? Because we're not adaptive. All we can see is this world is against me. These people don't like me. They didn't say hello to me. They spoke to me. In a, you know, what we need is a whole different lens through which to view the world. And the lens that God has given us is the person of his Holy Spirit. And when we're learning and adaptive, we're viewing things through the lens of the Spirit, which leads me to the third point, is we need to be dependent on him. We love the next verse. Don't we love this next verse? Oh, man. Oh, Philippians 4.13. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. But we stop with that. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Listen, the, the immeasurably more, the everything, the great gain, it's through him who gives me strength. This declarative statement comes out of a heart of contentedness. Paul has been saying, I've learned to be content. I can, I can do everything. What's he talking about the everything? I think he's talking about the content. Content is so hard but I've learned it because I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Are you with me? I mean, that's how hard contentedness is. Paul's going to tie it up almost in everything. I can do everything, even be content through him who gives me strength. Be dependent on him. Uh, here's my clue to contentedness. If I left you with just the two points, be grateful, be adaptive, you would be, be an utter failure at being content because you don't have it in yourself to be content. But when you're dependent on him, I can do everything who gives me strength. This is the one I'm coming back to. You may say, well, this seems so elementary, Pastor. This is really good stuff, and it will change your life. Listen, I'm, I'm saying this every day to myself. I can do everything through him. Who gives me strength? I can even be content. You may say, well, that's that big a battle for you? I hate to say it, but yes, it is. But I want the great gain. 
I, wanna, I want godliness with contentment is great gain. I want the immeasurably more. I don't want to cut it off by being discontent. And as a result, I'm going to be dependent on him because Jesus says, I'm the vine. My father is the gardener. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear. I want the much fruit. Apart from me, though, you can do just a little bit of good. I know, you can do nothing. Fourth point. And again, there's sermons in every single one of these. I just don't want us to be here all day, but write them down, think about them, pray about them. Fourth point is this, be a blessing. Be a blessing. Paul goes on and says in verse 14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about that there was a problem. Going back to 2 Corinthians, he says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, that's the church in Philippi, Philippians, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in generosity. What is he saying? He's saying the Philippian church, poverty struck in great trial, gave to the work of God with generosity. He's not saying the wealthy church in Philippi blessed us. He's saying the poverty-stricken, trial-struck church in Philippi overwhelmed in generosity. How do you learn to be content? I think one of the ways you do it is by being a giver, not a taker. Takers are never content. It's like that uh, Rocky, uh, what is the, the show where it's just like, feed me, Seymour. Do you remember that uh, musical? A little shop of horrors. I don't recommend it. Um, but this plant keeps saying, feed me, feed me, feed me, and it just keeps getting bigger, and it just keeps gobbling up everything around it. That's discontent takers. Instead, learn to be a blessing. Be a giver. You may say, oh, you know, I really don't have that much. Neither did they. They. The church in Philippi, they didn't have much either. They gave out of their poverty, not out of their wealth. When you learn to be a blessing, it will help you. I, I just believe in this American culture, this greed-struck day in which we live, that we need to, and look, you may be saying, oh, he's doing this. You shouldn't be doing this, Pastor, because you're going back to that preaching prosperity stuff. No, I don't, if you don't give to me a penny, I don't care. If you want to, fine. But if you don't, I've learned to be, I'm learning to be content. But be a blessing somewhere. Look around you. Be a blessing to the world around you, and it will help you learn to be content. This picture, I, I just saw it last week, and I, I had to look at it several times. This picture, we've got green stuff in the, this bucket and yellow stuff in this bucket, right? Actually, it's the exact same liquid in both buckets. You're like, no, it's not. One's green and one's blue. No, what's different is the bucket. The bucket, the blue one, yellow plus blue makes... Thank you. 
Thanks for those of you who went to see, you know your color schemes. Yellow plus blue makes green, but in the white bucket, you can see the true color of the liquid. God wants to put his presence in you. And it's not just a godly bucket he's looking for. He's looking for a godly contented bucket. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So, be grateful. Praise him for what you have. Praise him for what you don't have. Praise him in the morning. Praise him in the morning. Praise him in supper time. Be adaptable. Be flexible. Learn to be content. Be dependent upon his presence. Be a blessing to the world around you because this godliness with contentment is great gain. Don't you want to walk in the great game? I do. And again, maybe I'm just preaching to me. Because I know me. And I'm battling. So pray for me. Pray for me that this contentment would just grow in my heart and in my life. Because I want godliness with contentment. I want the great gain. I want the immeasurably more. I want to do everything through him who strengthens me. I want to bear much fruit. I want it for all of us. I want it for us as a church. So this morning, we're going to close. The worship team could come back up. We're going to close by singing this great hymn, which basically is saying, Lord, take my life. Take it. Let it be. An instrument of praise, of righteousness, of glory to you. Because I think when we do that, we're... We're, we're giving ourselves, we're putting ourselves in a position of contempt. Say, Lord, this is not about me. This is about you. I'm the instrument. You're the potter. I'm the clay. Take me. Use me for your glory in the days ahead. Lord, we thank Stand up with me, everyone. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We pray that we would be a grateful, contented people. We pray that we would live to your glory. We pray that God... We would be a blessing to the world around us. Lord, we pray that we would, be, we would learn to be content. Lord, we pray that we would um, give thanks in all circumstances for this is your will for us. Lord, I, I, wanna, I want for us as a people to walk in your great gain. So may we be godly and content. May we look to the immeasurably more. May we do all things. May we bear much fruit by being dependent on you, by learning from you, by being grateful about that you've given us and a blessing to the world around us. Take us, Lord. Take our life. Let it be. May it be consecrated, Lord, dedicated, given.
lifted.